Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Uh, happy Heritage Days. Technically, isn't it just like August Civic Holiday or something? Technically, it's August Civic Holiday here in Alberta and in BC on Monday. Mm-hmm. But it's a long weekend and they have the Heritage Festival. Mm-hmm. So nowhere actually is it called Heritage Days except in our minds. That's true. Yeah, you're right. The festival. Yeah, but a lot of people refer to the festival as Heritage Days. So whatever. I agree. And I think they've actually sort of like de facto named August Civic Holiday to Heritage Day. Because here in Canada, we like to name our holidays as opposed to in the UK where it's just bank holiday. This is it's very much like, you know, whatever people decide to call a thing is is what it really is. Just like, for example, the Daleks. Or, a.k.a. the mutants. Yep. Ding, ding, ding. Yes, and we just watched episodes five uh, and six of the mutants. You see how I tied it in I there? was wondering if you would go there, but you did. I did. Yeah, that's where I went. When I was younger, I, uh, that is like a week ago, not a week ago. <laughs> I I assume, I pointed it out to you at the end of episode six that uh, for the first time in history, there's a copyright dead at the end of a Doctor Who story, with mm-hmm. the, as there was in uh, at the end of episode six of the mutants. And... In my head, I concocted a reason that in order to prevent it from being confused with the mutants from 1963-64, they put the copyright date on there as to differentiate. That is not why they did it. Yeah, because there's literally nothing else to differentiate it, not like the difference in the actors or the fact that it's in color or anything well if you're looking for like uh you know uh, things on the end of a of a 16 millimeter black and white film canister because the you know the uh the original videotape masters for the for the first mutants were long since gone you know i just thinking of logistical reasons but no there was nothing it's probably some bbc internal stuff that said hey guess what let's put copyright dates on all these things now does it continue or is this just like a weird one-off oh no it continues get ready (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Now, I don't know the history of uh, of the copyright dates, but at some point they um, become Roman numerals. Boo! Which I always thought were very exotic <laughs> when I was a kid trying to pinpoint, well, what is that? Is that it? Oh, I think it's 1984. Oh, wow, that's exciting. So somewhere before or maybe right at the... Um, uh, John Nathan Turner era in 1980, does it switch? Because I, I, I don't remember it being anything but Roman numerals in that time. Somebody probably thought it was fancy. I hate it. I hate it so much. Why? What is the freaking point? It just makes it harder to read. It's not, it's not fancier. No, it's dumb. Same goes for the Super Bowl. Even worse for the oh, Super Bowl yeah. because they go, oh, well, back in Super Bowl 35, they go, what? give me a year. I don't remember any Super Bowls. I don't watch NFL football, but like... I don't know. When did the Chicago Bears win? They won in like 1986. Oh, no, I was of 28 or something like that. What does that mean? I don't know. It bugs me. Yeah, I don't. And I didn't even really learn Roman numerals like in school, so I've always been very bad at them. Most kids learn them through the Rocky movies, <laughs> as Bart Simpson once attested in a Simpsons episode. Okay. Yeah. Rocky V. That was the fifth one, he said. Mm-hmm. So V is five. Thanks, I did know that one. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. the the story um, V, the TV show, mm-hmm. was not five. Uh, I think you pointed out that um, wasn't it an article or something or a podcast or a, a YouTube video that was talking about in Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. They're talking about the VI, the visual interface of the computer, mm-hmm. and they called it the six because they thought VI meant yes. six. Yes, it was. A, yeah, I think it was a YouTube video that was clearly made by somebody who 
really didn't know Mass Effect. Yeah. And they were doing it as the six. six. Oh, my God. Sounds silly, doesn't it? All because of the Romans. Yeah. Sure, they built roads, but they also used slavery and messed up our dating system at the end of television and movie productions for <laughs> decades to come. Curses be to them. Yeah. So we watched, uh, yeah, the last two episodes of The Mutants. Finished off a story, serial code NNN, The Mutants. What'd you think? I liked it. I, I did feel like the uh, the ending with th- the uh, what the mutants mutate into was, yeah, that was ridiculous. <laughs> Go on. Well, just, I mean, it's supposed to be a... A process that happens again and again it's a cycle yep. it happens over and over again and part of this cycle they are like all-knowing all-seeing beings who are just energy beings and then at some point they have to revert back to being primitive humans like that sucks do they revert or do they just ascend perhaps like we've only you know like each season is 500 years so maybe this um life form life cycle perhaps is so where do the next human type ones come maybe from maybe super kai's come in and become something else the next season maybe in 500 years time no 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 but we know from the tablets that this has happened again and again mm. that's how we know that it's a cycle and that's how they recognize that this is a thing that's supposed to happen what if, though, like, what if in 500 years' time, whatever Super Kai is, I call him Super Kai because that's what he was referred to in the script. Um, what if Super Kai what, uh, becomes something, metamorphizes into something else after 500 years mm-hmm. that doesn't look like what the mutants currently are? Mm-hmm. And it's just a constant evolution of something into something else. Um. Mm, I don't know. I don't you, know if you, I'm you think they they revert right back to the the creatures or maybe even the humans. I'm just try- I'm trying to remember what the pictures were on the tablets, and I can't remember. It, I guess it didn't really have the shapes of men or bugs or Not anything really, like that. No, yeah, no. Hmm. they're like suns and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, t- t- the implication to me was just that it. I don't know. It it, it seemed like it was a cycle, like. Wh- I don't know. Where do you like? Okay, so if they were something more primitive than humans, right. like a, the cycle previous, and they, you know, they they evolved uh-huh. into humans, who the heck made those tablets? Whoa, the Romans! No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, see, I just, I just feel like that was that was the bridge too far for me. Okay. It was just that you know the ascent like i feel like ascension into an energy being is you know that's a that's a thing in science fiction that's a common trope i just i hate the idea that they would ascend and then revert so dramatically and they would know it was coming yeah because they're all powerful and i don't know it just seems very sad i don't know maybe i need to read up on this and then see what like the actual intention was but based on what i saw on Mm -hmm. screen it did I don't know. It, well, it didn't didn't work for me. Maybe they do. Maybe they do actually revert. If if you're gonna look at it as seasons, I mean, you think, oh wow, look at this tree. It's blooming and everything. Well, it's gonna stay like this forever, mm-hmm. and then it doesn't. The leaves. Die. I bet you maybe the this mm-hmm. shine leaves him. And th- those all knowing, all powerful creatures are like they can't figure out a way to stop that, or maybe maybe they recognize it's natural and they right. decide to just go with it because they're in tune with Solos. Maybe mm-hmm. just like trees, they are trees. Look at them as trees or plants. 
and that they chant, they go rise up, and they go, look at this. Hey, wow, we're going to live forever. No, I guess not. Let's go back into the ground mm-hmm. and then wait and then come back out, and that's how they do it. Okay, sure. Sure. <laughs> Never thought about that before. Never thought a lot of this much about this. Why I like doing this podcast with you because I haven't uh, haven't really thought about the mutants as much as I have in the last like 12 and a half minutes. So this is nice. <laughs> but I mean, other than that specific, right. like fiddly thing that happened in my brain and mm-hmm. kind of made me go, mm. um, yeah, any, like it's very deus ex machina <laughs> at the end there. Uh, a wee bit. Yeah. Um, but everything else I, I quite liked the, you know, inquisitor or whatever investigator. The investigator played by Peter Howell, ex of the prisoner where we saw him using the story, the general. Yep. Not, not that Peter Howell though. Not not radiophonic workshop right. personal hero Peter Howell, no. Yeah, no. Uh, actor Peter Howell. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I liked that. Uh, I thought it was a little bit flimsy that the investigator was convinced to give the marshal control again, but whatever, they needed to pad out an episode. <laughs> it was sudden. They were under attack, and I thought, better... Oh yeah, look at that! You know, it's that does speak to the uh, prejudice of the uh, the investigator. Yeah. Like, oh, look at that! Of course, yeah. he doesn't look right at all, does he? Better shoot them all. Mm-hmm. I trust the marshal here briefly, ever so briefly. But yep, yep. Uh, and you know, the doctor sabotaging things, and the doctor being quippy and waving as he <laughs> rides off into the yep. <laughs> the transporter. Um, yeah. Oh, the quip- oh, like the waving thing. Yeah, the, that I pointed out. I don't know if this is the case. I'm sure someone on Twitter will correct us. But when the doctor is running to the the teleport mm-hmm. um, and then the uh, the guards fire on him and then the, the it blows up but he's still going. And then John Pertwee, the doctor sort of waves, the four-fingered wave. And I it reminded me of the very famous wave sequence from The French Connection, which came out in 1971. But A, I don't know when The French Connection came out in the UK. This was shot in like mm, April-ish, 1972. Uh, Or B, had that moment entered the lexicon, so to speak? Was it a famous enough sequence to be mimed in a Doctor Who episode less than a year later? Those are two things I don't know about, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. It did win Best Picture, after all, Mm -hmm. The French Connection, and Best Actor for Gene Hackman, and Director for William Friedkin as well. Yep, and Roy Scheider was in it, too. Hmm. Roy Scheider later uh, starred in Sequest DSV, which was executive produced by Philip Siegel, who produced the Doctor Who TV movie. that's (laughs) That's how I bring it back around. Wow, I'm impressed. You tied it all in. I did. Yep. Good Good work. Good work. Thanks very much. Um, poor Stubbsy. Stubbsy died. That was sad, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah. yeah. I was like, but you know, he, he did go out a hero. He was protecting his, his you know, his good buddy, yep. his good buddy Cotton, and then, you know, these new friends that he just made. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the camera lingered on Cotton as his mm-hmm. friend died. It was very sad. It was genuinely affecting. Yeah. 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 I thought that was a good moment. Yeah. He was very, he was really upset. And then like, you know, he pulled it together and was like, you know, there's not more, nothing we can do for him. We get, yep. we got to move on. He's a, you know, good soldier. Yep. I appreciate that, you know, he got uh, nominal control at the end there um, until they close out the whole sky base. Yeah. Yeah. He's the last governor essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe Big Finish could do a thing. But the last days of the Solus Emperor, maybe they could explain the metamorphosis of the, uh, I mean, you know, Rick James has passed on, but Garrick Hagen's still there. He could be like old Kai or something like that. And 
That'd be cool. Yeah. I I would appreciate somebody explaining it to me. <laughs> yeah, and then like he's like at the end of that cycle, and then he has to. Oh, I guess I'm going to revert, and like the, the whole big finish story. You're getting free content here, big finish. This is your this is your story uh, idea board here. Yeah, but he's not going to revert for another like 500 years or whatever. Well, so. No, obviously. Well, okay, time has passed, and maybe he just he sounds 500 years when you're when you're super guy. You're gonna I know, but only after 500 years you start to sound like a 70 something Garrick Hagen. But by the time that happens, I'm just saying that like Skybase would have completely shut down hundreds of years previous. Or will it have? Why, why wouldn't it? Uh, just because maybe I think Cotton is good enough at his job that he's going to get everything cl- you know wrapped up tight and send everybody back home to Earth, including himself. Yeah. Well, well maybe there'll be other things on Solos too. You know, maybe maybe the Earth will maybe they come back. So you know what? That, that sounds like a good idea. That does sound like something humans would do, doesn't it? Right? Doesn't it? Like <laughs> we all laughed at like uh, at Star Wars, thinking, "What do you mean? Why is there the First Order? They killed the Empire like twenty years ago." I'm thinking, please, there was a World War One, and then the sequel is like twenty years later. And mm-hmm. Yeah, and we and, and and in that we had Nazis, and guess what? We got again. Yeah, friggin' Nazis. See. Mm-hmm. Things happen. Yeah. So you think, oh, well, why would the Solosians, Solonians, Solonians just, you know, become super beings? And then why would they ever revert? Because people and things revert all the time. All the time. Very sad. You brought it down. Let's, let's, let's talk about pretty rainbow crystals instead. Something happy. You liked that. <laughs> the pretty rainbow rocks. I like the pretty rainbow. I loved the CSO scene where they are sneaking out of the Tholene radiation chamber. Thesium radiation. Whatever it is. Thesium radiation chamber. And uh, they have to go across a catwalk and upstairs yeah. that's all CSO. Yep behind them i love that that looks so cool there and uh speaking of cso there was one of the most complicated shots in doctor who history that i want to point out because there was the very final when when kai kills the marshal there's the basic shot of um uh, the doctor and the investigator in the room that's Mm -hmm. there that's the only thing that's on there then they had another camera this is all done live in camera none of this is post-production then they had garrick hagan as kai on another camera super kai super kai Mm -hmm. Uh, and then they had another thing shooting a, fi- uh, basically like a rotating thing to get that filter on him. Okay. So that isn't like a video effect. That's Whoa. shooting something and then transposing that on him, I believe. So there's one camera, two camera, three cameras. Mm-hmm. Then I think, uh, I think maybe Paul Woodson Jones as the marshal was on set, mm-hmm. but they split screened it off. Mm-hmm. And then dissolved that half of it when they did it. And then, of course, they put a live laser beam also across. That was all done live, lined up and live in camera. This is how they did it. The first gallery-only visual effects uh, session in Doctor Who history doesn't happen for another six years. Every effect you see in Doctor Who is pretty much done, lined up to be shot as you see it right there. So that was an impressive shot for 1972. It was. It was like that was, I mean, even just, I just thought it was impressive in general, not like for whatever year. So it did, it did look good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that. I appreciate good, uh, good television craftsmanship Mm -hmm. of those days. Yeah. The amount of planning that had to go into that is impressive. That too, especially when you don't have a lot of time in studio to do these sort of things. So, so good job, Christopher Barry. Mm. Good old Christopher Barry who directed, who directed both the mutants and the mutants. (laughs) Oh my God, that's right. Uh, wow. Oh, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what 
else about this here story? Um, the music, we, I think we've talked about the music in the past. It's very strange. Tristan Carey does his... Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm not going to say I'm a fan of the uh, of the quote unquote music in this story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's Tristram Carey's last. Oh, last darn darn. Yeah, it was weird. It's it, it is weird that he because it's been W. Simpson's games basically since like the beginning of the '70s. But Mark Ayers, who of course goes on to do music, um, this this year back in 1972 is when he first starts watching Doctor Who. Oh. And he he stumbles on like one of the more uh, audible, audible, audibly, audibly, audioily. I don't know what you're trying to say, so I can't tell you what word you mean. Uh, the most sound auditorily, auditorily sure, interesting season because there's orally, orally. He's not speaking it. A U R A L. Because uh, Dudley Simpson does music uh, for two stories, but or three stories rather. But then there's also like Malcolm Clark's weird music for Sea Devils, and then this, and so like it actually like, oh wow, this is kind of neat music and stuff. So this season of Doctor Who sort of inspires his music, interest in music, and indeed his music career. I forgive you. I forgive everything. <laughs> I I'm sorry, Tristram Carey. Yeah. <laughs> He's done. He's done. It's it's a it's an interesting score. I'll say that. It, it stands out. That is for sure. Yeah, it exists too. All the track. I have it. Wow. If you want to listen to it sometime. Um, where where is it? It's it's. I, I have backed it up on many <laughs> different hard drives. I've backed up a lot of things in this house, but the <laughs> things that I've done is, is all my Doctor Who soundtracks and stuff are backed up on like every hard drive that I buy. I copy to a new hard drive and then it stays on the old hard drive and it's in the cloud <laughs> and it's on like Dropbox too. Mm-hmm. Do not try to delete it. All right. That sounds like too much work. Yeah. Uh, what else we got here? Um, Sondergaard, anything there? I do like I do like Sondergaard. Yeah. Um, still, he's just he seems a little more confused and cowed at the end than I expected because he's a scientist from Earth. So right. his befuddlement at the the sky base and like the proceedings and stuff, like even just wandering around the sky base, he seems a little like. Whoa. Well, he was stuck in a cave for a while. I know, but he'd been on the sky base before. Cause he, True. Yeah, so I, I can't imagine it had changed that much. I mean, maybe that was supposed to alert us to the fact that he's really, quote unquote, gone native <laughs> and has, you know, uh, really just stepped out of that world so much. But I, I can't buy that because he's still doing lab work. He's still doing science. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just it felt a little weird. And then like I can understand him not understanding what's going on, stepping into the yeah. middle of a basically, you know, a court proceedings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what what's happening? And I did appreciate that as soon as the doctor said, this is what's happening. We'll explain it later. All I want you to do is tell this guy about our uh, – our discoveries and then like then he's in perfect you know not mad scientist no. but like in- enthusiastic scientist there mode where he instantly just starts oh yes yeah. we found this and this and this and this and this <laughs> and that was a wonderful moment because it was just like he is he is happy to tell anybody who wants to listen about his stuff and that is you know that's that's the case with anybody who's really really into their their work and, and wants to to share it especially especially someone who up until he saw the doctor and his friends hadn't probably spoken to many humans in the past like mm. several years 
That's true. So it's like, hey, I can go tell my 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 story to someone else for the first time. Yep. Yes, pull up a chair there, investigator, and his two non-speaking investigator assistants. Let's mm-hmm. just have a chat about my my work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there, uh, I I do have to call out their helmets. The investigators' helmets are those are really something. Oh, the gold things mm-hmm. that they wore. That the what they more of a copper. It was more of a copper. It was what, were they helmets or they were they almost supposed to be like kind of like fabric but like they were gold fabric hey google stop forgot about that yeah i gotta get the laundry when we're done with this <laughs> yeah we do laundry we watch doctor who and we do laundry on saturday <laughs> nights on long weekends in this country yep Woo! we know yeah. how to party part of the tradition august civic holiday you do laundry the fact that the, their headgear was metallic made me think it was supposed to be like a metal helm of some sort. Okay. So it was, and the fact, you know, it was, it was neat looking. I thought it was sort of ornament, ornamentation, but also, you know, like an ornamental protective type thing, right. you know, especially because when we see the investigator at the end, he doesn't have his, which makes me think it was taken away from him, which makes me think it was some sort of protective gear because they had locked up all of his men. And if they're going to let him still run around, they're not going to let him do it in armor. I don't know if the investigators would wear armor. I sort of, I sort of saw it as more like you know, like the British judges with their little hats on that we see in the Stones uh-huh. of Blood, and they yeah, always but sort of. Why would his? Well, I guess the guards were wearing different were sorts wearing of different helmets. helmets yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. I, I bet you that Peter Howell, the actor, probably said, "Listen, do I have to wear this <laughs> anymore?" No, you don't. Take it off for the scene. As long as you didn't wear it, no. Okay, fine. Peter, take it off. Just like Richard Mace's hat in The Visitation. Which you just watched recently for, for the... See, this is why. You think, what was your motivation for not wearing that? I hated the hat. Why did Tom Baker not wear the hat after, like, Megloss? Mm-hmm. Casey hated the hat. That's why. If you don't... If you see someone wearing a hat and then they're not wearing a hat, mm-hmm. there's no scripted reason for it. They just do not like wearing the hat. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yep. That's it. Um, let's see. What what are the costume stuff? I thought that the costumes for the investigator guards had weird boob patches on their the, like the pockets. <laughs> like Clearly, just... only ever to be intended to wear worn by men. Mm-hmm. Men speaking, I believe the caption said at one point. No, it was men discussing. Discussing. That was. <laughs> Perfect. Perhaps the greatest caption in the, like close captioning in Doctor yeah. Who history because it was all caps yeah. and in parentheses and just like, you know, a shot of a bunch of them in the, during the deliberations, basically, yeah. of the investigation. Men discussing. I'll just screen grab that later. That is, that is a thousand uses. <coughs> yep. Yep. I love it. You're talking about the costumes designed by future three-time Oscar winner Jim Atchison, as we described. I think we talked about this last episode, but yeah. I mean, I do like them. Yep. yep. I like I like really all of them. I really like the sky base outfits, though. Those are my favorites. Oh, the black ones yep. there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And although, uh, on the Marshall's outfit, he's got the big SB, which yeah. it took me on his on his like neck basically uh it took me a while to figure out that that stood for sky base yeah um but i kept thinking it stood for son of a bitch <laughs> sb i thought it was sabbath bloody and then mm-hmm. sabbath that's what it was yeah there's a lot of i'm sure we could think of a lot a of lot things a lot of things stuff for brains stuff <laughs> i bet you probably oh people on sky base because you could tell that the marshal did not have a an iron grip he might have thought he had an iron grip but there's a lot of dissension in the ranks yeah mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, but I I just like those. I think they remind me of the uh, Babylon Five later. I was going to say it's the Babylon Five uh, thing there, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I dig it. It's nice. Um, I was going to was going to say. Oh, uh, it's oddly enough, it was I think it was episode five. There were there were extra guards there. There was one guard that I thought I recognized, and I need to go look up. I I think he appears later on in Genesis the Daleks. Uh, but there's another guard played by Dave Carter. I never recognized a guy called Dave Carter because he's the guy with the mustache. He appears in a lot of sort of walk on roles in Doctor Who. Hmm. Even has some lines from time to time. Wow. Has a slightly major role in the uh, Android invasion. Uh, which I watched relatively recently. And then there was Terry Walsh, who played a guard in mm-hmm. all of episode five mm-hmm. and didn't once do a stunt fall. Yeah, that's amazing. What? Yeah. Wow. Every That's great That's great work on Christopher Berry's part, because every time you see Terry Walsh, you're like, okay, countdown mm-hmm. to stunt in three, two, one. He never does, so he keeps you guessing. Mm-hmm. Keeps you guessing. When's it going to happen? Doesn't happen. Subverting expectations. Nice yep. work, uh, Christopher Barry. Yep, Christopher Barry, who later goes on to direct one of my other favorite TV series, The Tripods. Ah, of course. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, tying it all in today. Mm-hmm. Um, is that it then? Is that it uh, for the mutants? Uh, Joe still dressed like a couch. That's right. I didn't have a chance to change, being kept prisoner and all that, and not mm-hmm. being anywhere near a wardrobe, and being a woman, which apparently is not allowed on Skybase, because it's 1972. But uh, a, a very fetching couch, but yeah. it's just like that pattern, and it's like it just seems very padded, you know, like mm-hmm. like almost upholstery. But she and the doctor have sweet boots. That's true. Uh, Jumper, we had an interesting uh, tie as well, like uh, uh, the big hanging down tie, which you really see in episode five. I thought that was interesting. Maybe it's at six, but uh, it, it, yeah. it comes out more as time goes on, which I yeah. thought was kind of a nice touch. Like it's tucked in earlier on. And then I think in episode five, it's starting to sort of billow out a yeah. little bit. And by episode six, it's just like both both parts of it are just hanging down. Mm. Mm-hmm. And you're probably thinking, oh, maybe that's like the symbolic nature, but the doctor sort of like, you know, representing Kai and like the, the mutant sort of like coming out of it. No, he just wanted to wear it out because it was hot in the studio that day. That's your reason right yeah, there. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. Costume. Yep. I feel like the Marshall doesn't get talked about enough when people talk about big bombastic Doctor Who villains because yeah. I don't remember really hearing about him. No. What did you think of him other than being an SB? <laughs> Well, I mean, as I said before, he reminded me a lot. Uh, I'm pretty sure I said it before that he reminded me of the captain from um, Pirate Planet. Oh, yeah. You thought it was Bruce Purchase, the actor, indeed. For, for a split second, like ah. at the beginning, the very first time. I was yeah. like, is that the same guy? No. But uh, the bombastic performance was very similar, I thought. Uh-huh. Uh, it was maybe not quite as cartoony and over the top, um, which, as we will get to when we talk about the Pirate Planet, was totally on purpose and made perfect sense mm-hmm. um in this case he's just mad as the doctor says yeah. uh and you know meg- megalomaniacal which i did appreciate um jaeger like just calling him out on yeah. that <laughs> like okay like you're both bad guys but at least one of you recognizes how bad the other one is mm-hmm. that's something um no i thought his performance was really good because i really really hated him he did a really good job you were swear you were like oh you don't give him don't investigate her don't give him control of your guards i don't always talk back at the no. tv like that i don't know if it's just the mood i'm in or the fact that he just really got under my skin but yes yeah. i was <laughs> i was like you you 
no and yelling and stuff Mm -hmm. yeah i i feel like uh his kind of approach to things was you know you could draw a pretty straight line from that to like real life politicians these days Mm -hmm. maybe that's why he was so effective you know bruce per you wouldn't run into the captain the pirate captain because he's half cyborg for one but uh uh but that sort of performance isn't one that you expect to see in real life and then you think you know i'm i'm not mad mad men lose i've won and you think i could see people saying that in this day and age yeah living here in alberta (laughs) it's um a little bit yep Mm -hmm. so a lot of things in the story hit close to the mark completely unintentionally almost 50 years after its original broadcast doctor who once again is timeless it really is that's why we love it so much on this year, Lazy Doctor Who podcast on the Incomparable Network. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. that's that's where we are. That's where we are. Uh, do you know what story is next? I don't. What is it? It is a story that I have been looking forward to oh. watching with you. Oh, no. That, now I feel like the pressure's on. If only because it is a story that is a favorite of a certain Verity podcast co-host of yours. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, my goodness. It's the Time Monster. <laughs> God, now yep. I'm really scared. Yep. The Time Monster is the next story due with the ring. Uh closes out season nine. Yep, we're doing it. Uh that's the next that's the next uh mm-hmm. the next story. Maybe it'll happen because you've taken a few days off. Mm-hmm. Um so maybe we might even get to this at some point during the course of this uh, time off here. Oh boy. Yeah. I'm I'm hold me. <laughs> You don't know what to expect. You do what? What do you? What do you know? What do you know of the story that we're about to watch? Well, I know it has a terrible reputation uh, amongst people whose opinions I generally trust. Right. Um, except for Liz really loves it. Um, I know that. I mean, should I say stuff? Is it all right? I yeah. guess we're not. If you haven't seen it, watch it first and then listen to the rest of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I I know that. Ends with um, what's his face in a diaper. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, oh, I, I know I, who you mean. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I just I'm blanking on his name. That's freaking oh, me out. That's right. I was I was just keeping it spoiler free. That's all. I know what I know who Sergeant Benton is. We've already seen him multiple right. times. Sure. Um. Uh, I know that Joe is willing to sacrifice herself to right. save the universe, which is one of its saving graces, according to, to Liz. We'll we'll see how I feel about that okay. when we get there. Um, I know that it's one of the Atlantis stories. Yes, one of uh, three. Three. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know there's a weird bird thing, uh, Kronos or something like Kronos, that. Kronos. Yeah. Hmm. Um. I there's something TARDIS related, and I'm kind of blanking on what it is. That's right. Um, doesn't it have like a specific TARDIS interior that's only seen in that story? Yes. Okay. Yeah. See, I know a decent number of things yeah. about it. I just, I don't know what the plot is. That's right. I don't think they do either. So <laughs> I, that's, uh, that's the great thing say, about yeah, it. It sounds like, it sounds like maybe I'm not yeah. alone. Yeah. So while I'm looking forward to this, this is going to be very, very interesting <laughs> oh to see what happens when we watch the time monster. Liz, please still love me after we do this, no matter what. 
Please. I will also say as a final thing uh, that remember when we saw Cotton and I told you that a lot of people thought Cotton was like a terrible actor, Rick James there and everything. And we found him quite enduring in the story and everything. And I thought, actually, I think the real worst performance in Doctor Who happens a little later on in season nine. That'll happen as well at some point during the Time Monster. Maybe I will find it endearing. The look on your face says no. I look forward (laughs) to you and your opinion of this performance. Okay. All right. Hashtag teaser. Here we go. Next time on Lazy Doctor Who, the Time Monster. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.